D show. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't call it that. <laughs> well, not the A and D show. I mean, if Austin's not here, I guess, but. <laughs> Nerdy, unqualified, and probably indistinguishable from Ramble. Welcome to the A and D show. Welcome to the A and D show, uh, or I guess in this episode's context, it's just the D show, because Austin is actually out sick this week, so he will be back with us for our next episode. But in his stead, we have a very special guest. His name is Kenneth. Welcome, everybody, Mr. Kenneth. Thank you, thank you, uh, Kenneth. Kenneth, is that not how you say it? That's not. That's how it's spelled, not how it's said. Oh, well, my my apologies. How do you actually pronounce your name, Mr. Kenneth? <laughs> Phonetically, let's just go with Kenneth. It makes okay. it easier. Kenneth, Kenneth. So Kenneth, a lot of a lot of things. The uh, interesting thing about Kenneth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was going to call you Kenneth. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> uh, interesting thing about mm. Kenneth is that Kenneth is the foremost technology mind in uh, all things to to the future (laughs) and space travel. And so we have a really special episode today because we have the world's leading informational technology brain here to talk about the future and space travel and whether it's possible and whether it's practical. And I'm mumbling. (laughs) Keep on railing. I wouldn't say the foremost, but I have been working on it since the age of Oh, geez. Ten? What was it? You were, oh, travel, travel to Mars? Yes. No, I had a whole book on the layout, how we would inhabit Mars. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And you're the perfect person for this podcast. So, uh, before we get started, uh, let me just say, let's get started. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we all know one of the things we talked about on our last episode, just briefly, was talking about uh, Elon Musk and how... He has uh, rather foolishly, I guess, or kind of awesome, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, has launched his $150,000 Tesla Model X sport car into outer space to go on a long, to intentionally, or uh, originally it was intended to go uh, into a deep orbit of Mars Mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, hang out there until we get there to pick it up, you know, in a hundred years or however long. And, um, well, unfortunately they kind of overshot their trajectory a little bit. Just a little, <laughs> so now, just a little. So now, you know, Model X and Mr. Spaceman are literally just drifting into deep space endlessly. Correct. Um, which that's kind of interesting. Um, the funny thing about it is that you can actually go on YouTube and they have a constant live stream of it. And you can see him just kind of listing through space and the earth kind of gets smaller as he goes away. It's not moving very fast. In fact, it's moving... Well, it might be moving really fast, but in, from the perspective of the viewer, it's moving very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's definitely drifting away from space or from earth, which is kind of awesome. Kind of terrifying, though. It's like one of my number one fears is is to drift off into outer space. But Well, I suggest you never get into a rocket, then. I don't plan on it. Unless that... Rocket is actually a car just called Rocket. Or a horse named Rocket. I'll hop on a horse named Rocket. I would rather be on a real rocket than on a horse named Rocket. Oh, so you're 
you're all in favor of space travel. Oh, definitely. So definitely. you're you're like you're just waiting for the day that space travel becomes commercialized that you can. Yeah, if we wanted to pay two hundred thousand dollars for a plane ticket to Mars, maybe. But I just the way that space travel currently is, our current idea of it, I think, is not what it's going to be end up. Um, Virgin Galactic. Surely you've heard of them. I haven't. You haven't. Please educate me. Virgin Galactic is actually one of the few companies that doesn't use a rocket to get into upper orbit. Not directly. How do they get up there then? They do have rocket-powered stuff, but they rely more on like aerodynamics to launch themselves into upper orbit. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is this, is this the company that flies a piggybacked thing up into the atmosphere and then they take off and then they rocket boost into outer atmosphere correct okay okay i think i do know what you're talking about correct the thing is right now by launching a rocket into outer space Uh the amount of fuel we burn just to get into outer space it's pretty astronomical no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here first folks so i believe that getting out of our atmosphere using plane methods um, would be our first step because doing a rocket it will never get us there within a feasible amount of money. You know, I've always wondered why. Now, again, there's limitations to this, but I've always wondered why we don't, you know, uh, buy into the whole um, Star Trek or even Star Wars mm-hmm. kind of mentality of space travel, and that is traveling through space from space. Yeah. Instead of trying to enter orbit. Or enter a planet's gravitational pull and exit a planet's gravitational pull. Why not just put a hefty space station, build a hefty space station into a decently deep orbit of a planet and then have that space station be the thing that generates the fuel to power the rockets or the ships or whatever, wherever they need to go. I always wonder why we don't do that. And we have a space station, but currently all they do is like teach kindergarten out of it. Like they show little kindergarten videos and like, this is what happens when you wring a rag out. And I'm like, this is cool. (laughs) Like zero gravity studies are pretty awesome. But when it, when, you know, the the long and short of it is that there's so much more potential there that I don't feel like they're really putting into effect. Correct. Correct. No. um, The interesting thing is, have you ever heard of quote-unquote Asgard. As in where Thor and Loki come from? Yes and no. Okay, well, that's the only one I know of. (laughs) Asgard is designed to be like that, but it is actually, it's a concept at this point, but it is a space station much like that, that it's an international bunch of scientists have got together, and they want to do that. Hmm. They want to call it Asgard just for the sake of it not being on Earth, I guess. <laughs> but no, that is a, actually a thing in motion, which I would believe would work um, yeah. the same way you would. Because getting in and, the out, in and out of our atmosphere is the hardest part. Right. Because gravity. And there's nothing you can do about it other than harvest the, the molten core of the Earth, uh, at which point, you know, danger, Will Robinson, because the planet will break up and you'll have to fly through the planet to break out the other side. Correct, correct. And then we'd basically just be like terraforming our own Earth to our own destruction. Or just destroying our own Earth to our own destruction. Yeah, well, (laughs) the goal would be to hopefully escape from it, but... Well, you never know. One thing I think that's also interesting is we've seen through science fiction and film and books and, and even television series now the 
the approach to artificial gravity. Let's talk about artificial gravity for because here's the thing. Like one of the things we all know, we've all grown up hearing about, is that the astronauts that go to the ISS and that even like even the very first astronauts that were in a high Earth orbit mm-hmm. or the Apollo missions astronauts that were in space for a lengthy period of time in zero gravity before they were able to get even to the low gravity of the moon and then back, right? One of the things, one of the biggest hurdles to overcome for them is the toll that low gravity puts on your physical structure, right? I think that the longest, isn't the longest term in space right now just over a year? Mm, I'm not sure on that fact. I I think I heard that somewhere. Um, But anyway... And what's, what happens is that when you come back, your bone structure, your muscular structure, everything about your physiology is very incredibly emaciated because you don't have any of the gravity of Earth mm-hmm. or gravity in general to put the strain on your body to maintain that physical structure, yeah. right? And so that's one of the biggest problems with um, space travel and the extended space stay. Correct. And, you know, there have been films that have addressed it. Um that have addressed it kind of in a weird way. For example, the Disney movie Wally. We've all seen that, right? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. They addressed it in a very interesting way. They addressed <laughs> it in as much as saying, embrace the decay of your physical strength mm-hmm. and float around as this big fat blob of human flesh. But then they didn't really address it very realistically because in the end they all walked out of their wheelchairs and stood around and walked and stuff. Well, the interesting thing about that movie is that they did have gravity. They just... Chose not to use it. Got too lazy. (laughs) Another way that people have have theorized that artificial gravity is the rotational centripetal force uh, generator. Correct. And then there's the other, I've heard it theorized before too, where they will do some kind of of uh, metallic injection into the human body and then magnetically pull you down and create it that way or hmm, that's interesting i don't know i don't know what what do you think about that well to be honest i would like to say that we would come up as humanity with some super dense material because that's how gravity functions mm-hmm. per se because any item has mass and if theoretically in outer space you put enough uh, two items out there that have mass; they're going to be attracted to one another mm. um, because they own have their they both have their own gravity per se. It's not a magnetic thing; it's a because you have size, you have gravity. Mm-hmm. So even with people, we're on Earth, so we don't experience this. Each person has their own gravity. So to be able to use that and function that on a space, we'd have to come up with a material. That would have a density that basically be equivalent of putting an earth in a like a softball or something. We'd have to create a material that was so dense hmm. that we'd be able to create our own gravity. So what you're way. saying is to create some kind of adamantium type metal that its density properties are equal to that of the earth Correct. to create earth-like gravity. Correct. But that it can be spread out into a plate. Mm-hmm. And then line the floors of a spaceship to create a gravitational pull inside the spaceship. Correct. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with that that I'm thinking. Oh, and there's a lot of problems. There's with a, that. there's a lot of problems with that. First of all, not you know, not the least of which mm-hmm. is the gravitational pull from the outside. Right. Think about it like this: if you have the gravitational mass of the Earth in a plate, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's just a plethora of problems with that. First of all, unless you can find a way to electronically generate that. Mm-hmm. 
and only generate it from one directional or yeah. one direction, you're going to have it omnidirectional and you're going to be sucking things to you everywhere you go. Correct. There's a lot of issues with that. Um, never mind the fact if you're the guy on the second floor, you're going to have a lot of issues because you have gravity above you and below you. Imagine, though, the interesting uh, conundrum that would be if they had, for example, a cylindrical spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. And they had a single floor that divided the spaceship right down the middle with hatches that would transverse between both sides Correct. of the ship. Correct. And the gravity pulled toward the center on both sides. So you'd basically so create you'd basically, a little Yeah. You'd basically be standing on your on the opposite people's feet mm-hmm. with this only thing between you is this one plate. But, you know, that's kind of an interesting theory. But the other overwhelming theory is how do you propel something with that kind of mass density through space? I mean, think about the kind of the kind of propulsion and force it would take to, to move something like to, that to break. I mean, well, just just push away the theoretical mass um, density metal that we create, right? Yes. Push that out of the, the equation for a second. Just think about planet Earth, right? The density that planet Earth has, the gravitational pull that it has, in retrospect to the gravitational pull of the sun, right? We are right. locked into a severe orbit, like a mm-hmm. severely strong gravitational orbit to the sun Correct. because of the mass of the planet. Mm-hmm. The only reason that we're able to transverse from the moon to the earth is because we're small enough that the gravitational pull of the sun doesn't pull us back toward it, right? Correct. Otherwise, we'd be sucked off the earth and into the sun. Yeah. So think about it like that. If you created a matter, a metal plate or even a matter generator or a density generator, mm-hmm. That could de- generate a a density calculation or a density output that matched Earth gravity, and then you turned it on. <laughs> a couple of things would happen. Number one, you'd have to be way out in the middle of nowhere, Correct. super deep space before you ever turned mm-hmm. it on. Because first of all, um, if you fly a ship, if you're able to break away from the gravitational pull of that ship's density to the density of the planet Earth, mm-hmm. if you're able to break away from that with it turned on, you're going to pull the moon away. <laughs> yes. You know what, I'm, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then, not to mention the fact, you have to be well away from the gravitational pull of the sun. Otherwise, you're going to get pulled into an orbit and you're going to get locked there. Because the amount of propulsion that you would have to have to move something with the density of the planet Earth out of the orbit of the sun is incomprehensible. Yeah, we'd have to basically be able to strap enough rockets to Earth to move it out of orbit. And that's, of course, that's contingent upon whether or not we can... That's a practical application. I mean, that's kind of neat to think about and to theorize, but not real practical. Realistically, we would have to survive living in zero gravity if we want to actually do space travel. Now, we've talked about the we've talked about creating some futuristic technology to develop artificial gravity. Correct. Or actually in in that situation it would be it would be a legitimate organic kind of gravity, but it would be would have been developed through artificial process, processes. Correct. Um what do you think about the theoretical possibility of a centrifugal generator for gravity. I mean, is that practical? Is that possible? I mean, because I've seen it done several times in film. Granted, mm-hmm. film is not exactly the most reliable, but I've seen it done a number of times where <clears throat> uh, they'll have some kind of a central 
Um, Centrifuge? Yeah, and then they'll have these big kind of wings and pods that come off and they just kind of spin. And the gravity at the ends of those is comparable to Earth gravity. But the closer you get to the center, the lower gravity gets. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you're in zero gravity at the dead center. And so... You know, do you think that's a practical? I mean, it it makes for a, a fairly delicate spaceship, I would imagine. Yes, um, it is nice to think about it, um, but we have to take in consideration one of the reasons that we have that kind of force even here on Earth is because we already have gravity. Mm. It's because of the fact that. Because if we had no gravity and tried to start that thing up, we'd get hit by all the fans and the blades. It's because it starts off at a zero point at the bottom. And then as it speeds up, it forces our gravity outwards. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have no bottom point, you're either going to be strapped to something equivalent to a fan. And pray you don't get hurt riding a fan. Mm -hmm. So I see that... If we could maybe start it here on Earth, and then we'd be back to the rocket thing, trying to get it out. So, yeah, we'd have to start it in a place with gravity. And like you said, it'd be a very fragile ship, but we'd have to start it somewhere with gravity, with any hopes of getting it to work. So, pretty much what you're saying is that artificial gravity, or artificially generated gravity, is kind of a misnomer. Correct. And is probably going to be impossible to achieve, unless we have some kind of mineral... Mm-hmm. breakthrough of something that's very dense that we can use to generate gravity Correct. artificially. Correct. Correct. Okay, so let's move on from that and let's talk about the prospect of this is something I'm really excited about. Um but the prospect of um planetary habitation outside of our current planet, planet Earth. <sighs> also known as Terra to some of the Weird space people out there. Yeah. Well, my personal stance on that is that as humans, if we were ever to survive on a planet other than Earth, we would have to create an artificial dome to live in. That's, you hear things, oh, let's try to terraform, let's try to make this planet Earth. Mm -hmm. I would argue that you'd have to destroy Earth and rebuild it to make another planet Earth. Why? Well, one, it's physically impossible for us to do it. But two, Earth is a combination of very intricate balances. And for humans to try to jettison all this stuff and try to make it... Let's take carbon. Carbon, for example. Simple, basic element. Mm -hmm. Or oxygen. That's in the air. Let's do oxygen instead. Okay, we take this thing to Mars, provide Mars has enough gravity to actually sustain a atmosphere, which it doesn't, not <laughs> enough for... <laughs> not I mean, enough. you are the ultimate authority on this. So. <laughs> which it doesn't, but that means we'd have to take enough oxygen from Earth to be able to put it on that planet, or come up with a process to take enough of whatever's on that planet already... To make it oxygen. Okay. So then in that case, we're borrowing something to put it elsewhere. It's like a bank loan. You can borrow it. They charge you interest. So you borrow to borrow. 
So by the time we're done borrowing to replace something else on another planet, mm -hmm. unless we just happen to find an oxygen-enriched planet, which doesn't exist in our solar system at the moment, other than Earth. That we know of. That we know of. Um, <laughs> so unless we find planets that are vast reserves that we can put towards Mars in this instance, uh -huh. we'll just be borrowing to our own demise. So, okay, so what you're saying is that the prospect of a multi-planetary uh, human, uh, human habitation Correct. happening. It's not impossible. It's, it's impractical because of what it would take to, quote-unquote, terraform a planet, Correct. create another Earth-like ecosystem mm -hmm. on another planet. Um, but it's practical in the in, inside the confines of, for example, what you would see in uh, Total Recall. Right, where he's they have created subterranean mines and living areas yes. that are that are uh, kind of like a biodome underneath Correct. the ground. Correct. So that's possible. That is. But possible. to create a planet, to create emphasis mm -hmm. on that word, to create a planet that is uh, Earth-like from nothing, or from a planet that's just a big big red or whatever color you want to call it, rock. Correct. It's pretty much impractical to do. Very impractical unless you have basically planets that you will take the minerals harvest. from harvest to create yours. At which point, those harvest planets may be more suitable for human life than the planet you're trying to create. Correct. Unless, of course, you're just getting particular with space real estate, in which, in which case you might as well just harness a planet and yank it where you want it to go, right? Um, yes. So... <clears throat> One of the things about Mars, about you mentioned um, a planet that we don't have planets within our solar system, so far as we know, mm -hmm. that have the minerals and have so on and so forth to be terraformed, so to speak. Um, one thing that I have heard about Mars is that Mars does have several large natural water deposits that have been frozen from you know, sub-zero temperatures and so on and so forth. And one of the theoretical terraforming techniques that they have talked about is actually going to the planet with some kind of a superheating, like, global warming generator. That's practical. Right. And basically blasting the planet with super intense, super hot radiation at the ice caps and doing to Mars <laughs> what they're afraid we're doing to the planet naturally, right? And to basically melt the polar ice caps of Mars and to not just melt them into a liquid, but melt them to the point that they become gaseous and create clouds that create some kind of an oxygen-nitrogen cloud that floats over the planet and kind of develops its own natural atmosphere from that. What do you think about that? Well, considering all levels of impracticality, <laughs> let's set that aside. But first, say that we do manage to create this atmosphere. Mm -hmm. One, it is a very different atmosphere than we would ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Gravity, Earth has a denser gravity than Mars would. Yeah, I think Mars is slated as about 80% of Earth's gravity. So even at 80%. Shout out to John Carter, the movie from Disney, which was wonderful. <laughs> We so, can talk about that later. <laughs> so even with that, I mean, it's not by any... It might be an actual atmosphere, which would be a jump in human ingenuity, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but it would not be anything near 
an Earth atmosphere. I mean, sure. Take into consideration, Jupiter has an atmosphere. Yes, granted, it's so thick you can drink it. <laughs> <laughs> but it does have an atmosphere. <laughs> it's so thick you can drink it. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. That's hilarious. Okay, so let's move, let's move on from Mars. Let's move on from Mars because you know planetary habitation, um, extraterrestrial planetary habitation. I guess mm-hmm. we can say it is not limited to you know the golden boy that is Mars, right? Correct. Um, and there are several planets and other areas of our galaxy, and perhaps even in other galaxies. Should we ever be able to master the art of, uh, or the science, I guess I should say, of space travel? Yeah. There are potentially other, what are what Star Trek considers M-class or Minshara-class <laughs> planets, breaking out my nerdy, my nerdy topic right there, um, <clears throat> that we could possibly just immediately habitate on because of the conditions that are already met by what we need. Correct. What do you think about that? Well, I... There is a scientific term for it. Is well, it's, they use it, but it's not scientific term. It's called like an Alice world or the Goldilocks zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the distance that the Earth or the planet mm-hmm. has to be from its star to create the conditions needed to sustain human life. Correct. Correct. So, with all scientific knowledge and whatnot, I do believe that there are planets that are close enough. I mean, there are maybe not directly close enough, but I've never been out in space, so I wouldn't be... No. But it is not unreasonable... Unreasonable. (laughs) Play on words. Actually, just terrible words altogether. (laughs) Um, To believe that there is a planet that has an atmosphere that would come close to Earth's atmosphere. And should we be able, should we ever come to the, the technological advanced moment where we can create the artificial gravity field needed to not rot before we get there <laughs> in the millions of years that it would more than likely take for us to travel in that distance? Mm-hmm. Um, if we put aside FTL drives and hyperdrives and ludicrous speed for a second, yeah. then theoretically we could habitate on. Another planet other than Earth. Am I yes. even saying that right? Habitate? Is that the right word? <laughs> Close, um, I don't know. Good enough. Well, my, what would be awesome is if there was like a planet with like 3% more helium than ours. So that everybody talks really high pitched <laughs> yes. all the time? <laughs> that would be an interesting conundrum. So one of the other things that I was thinking about today uh, in prep for this uh, podcast episode was what do you think... And we, and just so our listeners know, um, we are by no means qualified. I know I, I said that uh, Kenneth was the foremost uh, brain on this topic. That, that was a com- to. that was a complete farce. He is the closest thing we could get to to an actual brain, uh, because <laughs> wow. you know, because you know that Austin and, and myself uh, rarely ever say things that make any sense. So <laughs> I don't think much of this makes sense either. It's interesting, to me at least. Um, we might have lost all of our viewers at this point. Who knows? Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about... Um, viewers is a radio podcast. Wow, way to call me out <laughs> on my own podcast. Excuse me. We may have lost all of our listeners, especially because of you. So anyway, one of the things I was thinking about today, and, and keep in mind, listeners, that we're not qualified to talk about this at all, but it is something that came up 
to me was what are the ramifications of religious beliefs in retrospect to space travel? Now think about it like this. We know, I mean, we're both churchgoers. Mm -hmm. We're both Christians. We both believe what we believe. And, and we have, uh, we're also both very nerdy and we are both very much, um, very inclined to just postulate on the prospects of space travel in the future. I mean, I, I, we're talking about it on a podcast for 45 minutes, right? So, but what are, what are the ramifications uh, of space travel on religion? Because here's the thing, like, I, I've thought about it, you know, when you think about the history of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there have been several religious sects that have separated themselves from the common culture of the era, whatever era that was in. Correct. And they have separated themselves and pushed themselves aside and and distanced themselves from what culture was doing because they felt like it was compromising their religious beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens if, let's fast forward a couple hundred years. Say say in the the beliefs of of most, if not all, uh, Christian believers, especially within our church organization, Say that the that the Lord's return, Jesus Christ's return for the saints of the church, right? Say that that is delayed for several hundred years. Okay. And that we do not see it. And that um, here in a couple of hundred years or so, the people of earth have progressed technologically enough to the point that they can travel and, and create habit, habitats and habitation on other planets, right? Okay. Say that Christians are like, I'm sick of this world and I'm sick of this society and how crummy it's gotten and how dirty and filthy and blah, 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 and Hollywood and all this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Say that, you know, the way that we kind of all feel about the filth of modern society and say that that escalates to the point where we're like, we're going to, because we have the technology, we're going to move and we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to find a new planet and we're going to habitat, habitate cohabitate we're going to live on that planet and we're going to kind of separate ourselves from the the Sodom and Gomorrah so to speak of modern culture in that era Mm -hmm. what is that the the question that came to my mind and this is a really stupid question (laughs) because we all know the answer to it I guess but the question that came to my mind is God created the heavens and the earth right according to Genesis 1 1 correct he created man of the dust of the ground Mm mm-hmm Breathe, this, breathe the breath of life into his nostrils or whatever. Um, the first incidence of CPR. And he comes to life and man lives throughout all of his life on, on earth, right? Mm-hmm. And in Revelation, God comes back and to claim his bride, the church, to claim those people and to take him into heaven with him, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if uh, we're not on this planet when he comes back? <laughs> does he come does he like ping pong to every other planet in the entire universe or does he just claim every if there are people in other planets does he just pull all of those Christian believers from all those planets simultaneously like I mean this is a question that we can probably never answer correct and probably should never have even brought up in the first place but you did but I mean think about it think yeah. about it I mean if you're living on another planet say you're a Christian and you're and you are say let's just back it up 200 years. Let's back it up to more, something that's more practical, more like next year kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Say that they finally get the guts and the technology finally finalized for our first colonization of Mars. Okay. Right? 
our first biodome on Mars, right? I mean, you've seen The Martian? Have you seen The Martian? Yes. Okay. Say, for example, that's, what is that, 30 years in the future from now? Yeah, give or take. Give or take. Fast forward 30 years in the future, and say Matt Damon's character is a Christian, and he has, you know, all this Christian belief, and he's a follower and an avid follower of Christ and all this other stuff, and and God comes back while he's on stuck on Mars. What happens? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I don't think that, I mean, the omniscience and omnipresence of God and all that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, d- definitely comes into play there. But right. uh, this just was a really interesting thought to me. What do you think about that? Well, I think that you look, you make it such a big picture. God, say we just went right back down to the Bible. Mm-hmm. All this happened in Israel, Jerusalem, right. based in that area. Very pinpoint. And Very pinpoint. So is Jesus just going to come back, save Israel, and leave, leave us in America? Then <laughs> for ourselves. That's a fair point because when the Bible does talk about Christ coming back for his church, mm-hmm. it's it was written in the era when the church was pretty much localized to Israel, Rome, Greece, some of those surrounding areas, Asia, Correct. Macedonia, areas like that. And so it wasn't much of the actual known world mm-hmm. uh, that was you know the church at the time. And so... Uh, I guess you could say that we're kind of living in a in a in a small version of what I would just brought up. Correct. So I guess I guess when uh, you know that's a bridge we can cross when we get to it, right? Because if when the Lord comes back, if we're somewhere that's not planet Earth, which I highly doubt we will be anywhere but planet Earth, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. Is yeah, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, just by the what we know mm-hmm. as humans and what's written, it, it doesn't matter where you are. I guess it's more at that point, kind of more of a an operation of faith. Correct. You know. Anyway, this isn't a religious podcast. This is just <laughs> us talking about stuff. But that was something because we're religious people. I I thought of that today, and I was just like, hmm. I'm going to bring that up in that podcast. I thought that was kind of interesting. So, okay, well, I think we're getting close to the end of the episode. But before we go, Kenneth, since you're our special guest on today's episode, I figure it would be a good idea for us to play our weekly or episodely game of What's That Sound? Hey! Put that applause away! Okay, they've quietened it up that time. So I have three sound bites. Oh my. Three sound bites. And what's going to happen is I'm going to play you a sound bite, and then I'm going to give you multiple choice answers. And you're going to tell me what you think the sound bite is. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? No, you, Probably not. Now, are you a listener of the A&D show? Yes. Outside of, okay, yes, so, I am. Wow. You're, we, our very first guest is actually a listener of our... Wow. Take that as a hint, listeners. We may bring you on as a guest if you're a good listener. Just kidding. <laughs> okay, so you know how the game works. Correct. I play the soundbite. I give you the, the guesses. You make a, your best guess. And if you get, I think it's, if you get at least two of them right, you'll be crowned this week's soundbite king. Does that mean I take it from Austin? For this week. Especially since he's not here. <laughs> Works good to me. Okay, so here's our very first soundbite. Take a listen. What's going to happen? Oh, oh, All right. Oh, my. These are pretty tough this week. <laughs> I would say. Let me play it one more time for you. What's going to happen? Oh, oh, 
Okay. So. <laughs> Your huge hesitation is like, he's never going to guess this. <laughs> okay. Is this the sound of a guy inside a porta potty as it flips over? The sound of 30,000 servings of jello oozing out of a big square box? Or the sound of my last effort to cook a steak for a couple of friends? I'm going to have to go with number one. Number one, the sound of a guy inside a porta potty as it flips over. That, my friend, is. What's going to happen? That is actually incorrect, my friend. It is the sound of 30,000 servings of jello oozing out of the big square box. I was watching an episode of the slow, what is it called? Super slow show. Uh, so shout out to the slow-mo guys on YouTube. And uh, I was watching an episode today and they had 30,000 servings of jello that they were trying in a big square mold box. And they were trying to get it to set so that they could just jump on it. <laughs> and they unleashed it and it cracked and it just oozed everywhere. Oh and it my. looked and it was red, so it looked like some kind of nasty, pulpy, bloody mass. It was disgusting. Ugh. So you're zero and one right now, so let's hope you can do a little better on these next ones. Here's our next sound bite. Take a listen. I'm so bad at these. <laughs> um, all right. So is this the sound of a very slow lighter strike? The sound of the future of toothbrushing. <laughs> toothbrushing or toothbrushing? Toothbrushing. That was very specific. Okay. <laughs> or the sound of a man with a frustratingly tiny itch. <laughs> oh. oh. If you, I almost don't know what to if trust you, you if with. You need a, if you need a hint, I can give you a hint. I'm going to have to go with number one again. Number one. The sound of a very slow, lighter strike. Let's take a listen one more time before I tell you. I'm confident. And you're right! Give oh. it up! Okay, so yes, that is the sound of a very slow lighter strike. In fact, I have the lighter. I put it away as we were talking on the podcast. It's right here. That was what I, that was what Don't I did. Don't burn the mic. And I did it very slowly. So, okay. So you're you're one and one. So if you get this next one, you will be you will take Austin's title as the soundbite king for this week until we have our next episode. Okay? Or until he hunts me down. Or until he hunts you down and kills you and shoots your body into outer space to fulfill your dreams of being a spaceman. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the last sound bite. Take a listen. Oh, it's a very short one. Let's listen one more time. Is that the sound of a balloon popping from a mile away? <laughs> Man, that got you. That really got you. Is that the sound of a sonic boom from outer space? Or is it the sound of somebody popping their neck? Gonna have to go with number three, but somehow... A sonic boom from outer space? No, 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 no. Popping your neck. Oh, that's right. I actually read them out of order on here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Nope, you're bound to lose anyway. Let's so. take a listen. 
that actually, drum roll, ladies and gentlemen. If you say it's a pun from a mile away. <laughs> that is actually the sound of a tree cracking in the forest. Which wasn't really wrong. I'm just kidding. No, that's the sound of me popping my neck. Let's see if we can hear it again. I don't know if you heard that on the mic or not, but Ouch. ooh man, it feels so good. All right, so that wraps it up for What's That Sound, and you have done it, Kenneth. You have taken Austin's title, so when he listens to this episode, he'll probably be weeping in a corner by himself, and he will probably end he'll, up being the guy in the porta potty being flipped over. He'll probably be listening it by himself anyway. He may be the man with the frustratingly tiny head <laughs> that he has to scratch, <laughs> but he'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> oh my. So that's all we have for this week's episode, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for your comments and your feedback below this episode or in a review. And thank you again to Kenneth for coming on and talking about all the nerdiness of space travel in the future. No problem. And we are just gonna, you know, we're just gonna 